Knows Love Podcast. I'm Father Michael. And I'm Molly. And we have another guest today. So we have with us, all the way from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, <laughs> St. Vincent, Vincent Arch Abbey, Father Boniface Hicks. Great to be with you. Thanks. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks. I think the only other priest we've had here is Father Jonas, who you also know. Oh, that's great. And who also has oh. a great beard. <laughs> it's a, we can never have a priest on here unless they that's have a right. good beard. But you're, I, I'm sorry to Father Jonas. Yours definitely surpasses his a little bit. I win a lot of beard contests. <laughs> I think I have the longest beard at St. Vincent now that Father Andrew has oh. gone to the Lord. Here is my question for you. How many years are in that beard <laughs> well i haven't shaved i haven't cut it since 2001 <laughs> okay that's... so 21 years there you go 20 20 years i guess and there's no trimming that goes on or anything no just yeah. the mustache the mustache okay. gets a little uh, unwieldy if you don't that... <laughs> do a little bit of cutting there i guess <laughs> that would make sense that's pretty crazy 2001 yeah. i was four when you stopped cutting your beard. <laughs> My beard is only slightly younger than you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so maybe you could just tell us briefly. I know you have a whole story, and I've heard it before. You've been a monk for how long? Since 1998. Mm-hmm. I entered the monastery uh, just a year after I was baptized in 1997. Wow. And I was... Uh, an unbaptized atheist uh, about four years before that when I came to Penn State and started college there. And a variety of things uh, influenced me to start opening up to the transcendent, to imagine that there's more to life than meets the eye, that there is a spiritual dimension, that there's some greater meaning. I explored some Eastern things, uh, Zen Buddhism and Taoism, not very deeply, but, you know, just uh, kind of opening to the transcendent. Had a lot of philosophical conversations with my cousin who was studying philosophy at Penn State at the time. And I had a bunch of friends who were Catholic and had no capacity to convince me of why I should become Catholic. So that was not a good witness. But uh, then a total stranger came up to me on campus and invited me to study the Bible with him one-on-one. And kind of the openness and, you know, my mom taught me to be nice. And so I didn't really have a good excuse. I had the time and um, figured I'd give him a shot. And he was a real authentic witness. So very humble, didn't engage me in debates. He wasn't trying to convince me, really wanted to share his faith with me. And over the course of about a year meeting basically weekly with him, uh, and there were, you know, some ups and downs in that process, but Basically, after a year, I came to a point that I believed in the truth of God and the truth of the Bible and uh, was willing to take a step. At that point, I thought, the Catholic faith is like the whole thing, right? That's (laughs) one of those things I can't explain super well. And so I started going to Mass and then uh, started to get a little deeper into that. And then I'm bringing it to the point because I know the uh, point of the podcast is also about knowing His love. It was really an experience of reaching my limits. I had I was praying regularly. I was reading the Bible regularly, but I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know I was missing something. I just just didn't have that. Um, but really reaching my limits, I studied abroad in Germany and was just stretched enough by the distance, the language, the graduate courses I was taking in German. And uh, feeling some loneliness, and I really cried out to God from the heart for the first time, 
And he provided in some concrete ways that I can't explain any other way than to say that God provided for me. And then uh, I recognized his presence. He was there. Uh, I felt him. I, I had a sense that he was there. I had a sense I could talk to him and I could hear from him. And again, you know, in the obscure way of faith, nothing uh, sort of audible or tangible, but, but tangible in my heart. And uh, that was a real turning point for me. So yeah. it was from that that my vocation unfolded. Yeah. I came back to Penn State. I entered into RCIA. I was baptized. I visited the monastery and, uh, and joined a year later to make it quick. That's a heck of a journey. Yeah. It's been a beautiful journey. Yeah. So were you baptized at the Easter Vigil? I was, yeah. Perfect. So that, that's kind of, that very much ties into we thought we would talk with Father Boniface about Holy Week, which when you hear this podcast, you're in it. Holy Week has started. How's it going, guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Maybe we want to share. You have you have a very good experience. Neither of us were baptized during Holy Week, so you have a different experience. Molly, do you have any strong Holy Week memories or experiences? I think... Uh, I guess more of a tradition that I know is shared amongst a lot of Catholics. Um, on Good Friday, I love to watch The Passion, mm -hmm. which I've brought up on the podcast before, um, I think. Um, just, yeah, I, I always love Good Friday, um, which I think a lot of people would be like, that's like the saddest one. Why would you love it? But um, I really try to be very intentional on Good Friday to... Not just, you know, look at a cross and think, oh, Jesus did that for me. That's great. But to try to make it real in my heart and in my mind, the reality of his suffering and his pain and really unite myself to that as much as I can. And that watching that film every year really helps me to do that, to just enter into the pain and the moment with him and to remind myself of the sacrifice and all that he did for us, really, just to enter into that deeply. Um, and so that's always something I really look forward to in Holy Week, is to to join in that day with him and to come as close to his suffering heart on that day as I can. And just, I feel like it always makes the reality that I sometimes think, ab think about or brush past of, like, his passion, it, it makes it much more real in my mind and in my heart which thus I feel prepares me much more for the resurrection three days later for Easter. Um, so that that's what I would say. It's more of a something I try to do every year that's always pretty impactful um, for me. Yeah. What about you, Father Michael? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something we like. I'd like to definitely go through piece by piece is that Holy Week is out of the whole year um, where there's like liturgies throughout the week that that touch on those like really central parts of what we believe as Christians. And so I think about as a kid doing those things and like as an altar server and like at St. Peter's in Steubenville, I think they would invite everyone who was an altar server. Everybody served every single one. So there was 20 of these little kids. Uh, That's so cute. Most of us not doing anything. Um, but uh, up there, um, yeah, just helping out, making it something special. And I think that as a priest now, and this is going to be my first year celebrating these things as a pastor, uh, and especially celebrating the Easter Vigil. I did it last year, but nobody was there except the other priest and a couple <laughs> deacons. So this will be the first year with uh, people, 
with the people, with somebody coming into the church. And uh, yeah, so those liturgies are the things that really stand out to me. And maybe that's something, Father Boniface, you could share about doing it that first time when you became a Christian. Yeah, I I didn't have the little kid experience. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I I miss that, you know? I... I uh, I love hearing about those those stories of uh, kids that were ultra servers and what some of those things were like. But you're right. The first time I ever went to the Holy Week was the year that I was received into the church. Uh, although I had gone to Mass for about two years before that, but I, I, I had gone probably to Easter Sunday, I guess, and never went to—I didn't even know anything—I didn't even know what Holy Week was, mm-hmm. right? So, But, of course, uh, in RCIA— they, they take us through those uh, Holy Week liturgies. Um, it was a little bit unique for me because I had kind of a crisis um, on Holy Thursday about whether I was going to go through with it. Wow. Uh, because uh, the guy I was studying the Bible with, who was really responsible for me to in coming to know Jesus, coming to know the scriptures, believing in the faith, all of that, who was not at all anti-Catholic. He really didn't know anything about the Catholic Church. Um but I kind of let him know a little bit late in the game that I was like on my way to becoming Catholic, and uh, and he and he was you know curious about it and asked me about it. But the morning of Holy Thursday, he finally talked to me and said it in a way that I got. It. And he said, "I really see you being a leader wherever you go, you know, in the in in your faith." And he said, "I think if you stick with us, you know, I can see you doing that with with us at the University Bible Fellowship." I think if you continue with the Catholic Church, you, you, you know, you'd be a leader in the Catholic Church. And he said, I think by getting baptized Catholic, you're really making a commitment to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, if, if you're not thinking about, you know, you should think about that. He says, I just I bless your decision either way. Just think you should, you know, be aware of that before you make that kind of commitment. And it just hit home. He was trying to say some of these things, but he never said it so clearly before that. So I spent the whole day, Holy Thursday, Praying, I went and talked to the the priest at, at uh, Penn State, and uh, he gave you know talked to me. But he said, you know, this is a decision that you have to come to. He said a lot of people have brought their gifts in to the Catholic Church from other uh, Christian experiences, and you know, it'd be great if you did that. But you know, you've got to come to a decision. He said we could always do this later too. You know, Pentecost is a good day for baptisms, things like that. So then I went, I walked, I prayed, I reflected, I, I found my way to the Catholic Church downtown, which should tell me something. I wanted to go pray in a <laughs> Catholic church about this, you know, because the UBF didn't have a church and anyway, and I was drawn, you know, and I was praying uh, and looking at the tabernacle. I mean, I had some awareness of what the Eucharist was, and, uh, and I just asked, the, I said, Lord, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Do you, do you want me to become Catholic? And just at that moment, the, the the candle next to the tabernacle, you know, indicating the real presence, it just like kind of flared up for a moment. Not, you know, didn't jump out of the, the container or anything, but it caught my eye that something had happened there. And immediately the words came into my heart, I want you to fan the flame of my church. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and then I, I walked away and I was still, you know, I mean, it struck me. But then I started thinking from that moment, what would it be like to not receive the sacraments? And it, that just put it all in focus. Okay, could I go another? I had already waited two years. I'd been going to Mass pretty faithfully for every Sunday for two years. And the thought of suddenly like, oh, I'm not going to receive the Eucharist. 
okay, I could maybe wait a little bit longer, but the rest of my life, that's not an option. It just became really clear. Not being, you know, not, not receiving, not going to confession. I had a desire for confession. Never going to confession. But no, that's clearly not an option. And then the conviction started to form in me. So I met with David again, the guy that I was studying the Bible with. I told him I was going to go through with it. The priest at Penn State had said, well, you know, you've made this journey. There were eight of us that got baptized. So it was a nice class from Penn State, another eight that were confirmed. And he said, you've, gone, you've made this journey. At least talk to your class, you know, come or whatever. And, and uh, But I went to the Holy Thursday, and I was having made this definitive decision and I was really making this decision to be fully committed to the church. You know, as, as David had said to me, you're going to be a leader. And that just really hit home. And I had already had this desire for priesthood. I had thought about that. So anyway, I went to Holy Thursday and I just was filled with joy. And I remember the, I don't even know how tuned in I was to the fact that there's no Gloria during Lent, but I was really aware of the Gloria on Holy <laughs> Thursday. And I was singing it like with all my heart because yeah. I was so excited and was really proclaiming that. And then uh, I don't remember a lot of the liturgical details. Penn State's a little weird. We had mass in, a, in an auditorium at that time. So up on a stage and anyway, it's <laughs> a little strange. But I remember how beautiful that was. Um, I actually don't have strong memories of Good Friday from my first uh, Holy, uh, Holy Week experience. But then, of course, the Easter Vigil was... Uh, was incredible. We had a, actually a candlelight procession across campus at Penn State. Oh, cool. The, the Interfaith Chapel is on the far north end of campus. And then uh, the the auditorium that we used to have mass in, there's a, a more formal place now, but um, was about halfway across campus. So we lit a big Easter fire, had a candlelight procession, and uh, then entering into the... And I didn't know anything about the Easter Vigil. They really try to keep the veil over the eyes of the catechumens so they can experience it the first time, and, and uh, it was just amazing. It's really cool that uh, you had a vocation to the priesthood. Maybe you sort of knew it or you had hints of it, but especially on that Holy Thursday, which is very about the priesthood. I don't, uh, people probably know, so like it's the we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, but even especially, and I think it's the thing that stands out, is the washing of the feet uh, on Holy Thursday. And having been on... I guess, like, both ends of that, of, like, being somebody who sat up there and got their feet washed, but also, like, doing that is such a, like, really concrete experience of being a priest, of serving people, because it's really, it's very strange. When do you do that? <laughs> when do you have that experience? Yeah, that's right. So maybe we could talk about the week. You yeah. Know, lay out the week itself mm-hmm. and just... um. Because I think even a lot of people who know, like, okay, Holy Week is a week before Easter, don't necessarily know what Holy Week is. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I think it would be great to go through and just talk about it and, yeah, you know, just to bring encouragement to everyone, including us, to, you know, open our hearts more to what the Lord has for us this year in Holy Week. Yeah, I think especially this year, since a lot of us, a lot of people didn't participate in it last year. Yeah. Um, so we can start with Palm Sunday, which is once you've heard this, is yesterday, and it's about uh, just Jesus entering into Jerusalem and that sort of triumph and how quickly that all turns around as you go through the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Palm Sunday has just a uh, two kind of significant, maybe three significant features, that, that entrance liturgy where there's an extra gospel that's proclaimed, mm-hmm. 
And usually the priest is starting at the back of the church, maybe even outside of the church. Uh, in Rome, they have a magnificent procession mm-hmm. all the way around the, the obelisk and into St. Peter's Square and uh, had the proclamation at the obelisk, you know, quite a ways from the altar and 500 young people because it's the World Youth Day in, in uh, Rome. And so carrying palms and and olive branches, and just very beautiful. But that entrance procession is very striking, and of course everybody gets a palm, mm-hmm. and then gets the palm blessed, and uh, that always seems to be a feature. You got to go get your palm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people always, you know, I have so many memories. You know, you learn how to make the little cross mm-hmm. out of the palms, and I have a lot of memories of like being really little and holding my palms and, <laughs> and not really, you know, knowing. But I do think it's beautiful that even in it i think that's just a small testament to the ways the lord can grab us when we don't realize it even when maybe we're young or maybe we are in a situation like you were in father where you didn't know the faith but whatever the situation may be there's little things like that that um are uh so of the lord and even when we don't realize it it doesn't take that away um and so it's cool for me now having more of an understanding of what Holy Week is to look back on that and remember very clearly because it is such a like event and like even just how you were saying, Father, the entrance being different. Like I remember all those things, you know, growing up um, and not understanding, but how I was able to participate in that anyway. And it, I just think, yeah, it's, it's just making me think of how the Lord grabs us in little ways, even if we don't realize it. Um, yeah, so that's just what I thought of. It's super cool that we, we like, act those things out, and that's mm-hmm. a really good example of it, that whether you know what's going on or not, you still stand there with a palm, and right. Right, right. you can process in, and that uh, more than really, like, any other part of the church year, um, there's a lot of that stuff in Holy Week of, like, really, like, making it really clear with what we do, and, yeah, I just, I love the imagery of Palm Sunday because it is really this triumphant moment but you know what's coming and you know what you're gonna get into in the rest of the week and that's one of the other significant features of palm sunday is that long Mm -hmm. gospel reading the passion reading from one of the synoptic gospels matthew mark or luke this year from matthew or from mark Mark. sorry uh, and it'll be in the book. Yeah, it'll be in the book. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we stand for that and hear the passion. It's a lot of texts we never hear any other time mm-hmm. in the liturgical year. The whole passion, almost two chapters of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That in the synoptic gospels, you hear once every three years. They're great things. If I can make an encouragement to the listeners, mm-hmm. take those, take that reading that you heard yesterday at Palm Sunday. Or the one that you'll hear on Good Friday from John's Gospel, the last, well, the two, anyway, two chapters towards the end of the Gospel, and pray with different parts of that. Take your time to read through that. We we can't take it all in. Probably all of us remember different times that, you know, we heard that, and it gets kind of acted out in parts, you mm-hmm. know, and and, uh, and we've heard different parts, and we go, oh, that's really striking. But then there's another part that comes up, and just a lot of things get left behind, so taking time just to read through and pray with those. really beautiful. Yeah, and I think that's just such a beautiful thing about Holy Week is we often hear and reflect on, you know, the Lord died for us. He suffered and died for us. We often hear of the passion. Um, But I think Holy Week is one of, it's just so emphasized, like, 
the meaning behind it um because it's you know remembering the week everything happened and um i think that's it's just such an opportunity that we can take advantage of to really enter in and what better way to do that than by reading scripture right um yeah yeah and like back to the palm thing too of just that when you read the passion like walking with the palms you you say the words you uh you know cry out for jesus to be crucified and that's a humbling thing to do Mm. to say those things always very striking because you know we could all say if i was there in the moment yeah when it actually happened i never would have done that but then it's always an opportunity for me to reflect on like the times in my life where i essentially am crying out for his crucifixion in my in my sin and the times that i've rejected him the many times i've rejected him where i may not be saying those exact words but um I'm showing a similar rejection and saying it is just, yeah, it's humbling and painful and it wakes you up mm-hmm. to the reality of your sin and, and then the reality of how much we need him and how powerful his mercy is that it overpowers even rejection like that. So it's always, yeah, yeah that's always a very moving part for me. Mm-hmm. So moving through the week, I'm not sure what they do in the Diocese of Greensburg, but in the Diocese of Steubenville, we have two of them, Monday and Tuesday, we have chrism masses. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's probably the thing people know about the least. Uh, the chrism mass is the mass where the bishop blesses the oils that are going to be used throughout the whole year. So the oil of the sick that we'll use for uh, anointing sick people, um, oil of catechumens that we use in baptism, and the chrism that's used in baptism and confirmation and Anoint or ordination of priest, uh, it's I'm happy as a priest and before that as a seminarian to get a glimpse of that because it's a lot of stuff happens that you don't really see that so that really good connection to the sacraments but also usually all the priests gather around the bishop and you even you renew your priestly promises uh, at that mass which is really powerful and and traditionally that takes place on Holy Thursday yeah. Uh, that's when the Holy Father does it in Rome, and uh, the dioceses of uh, Greensburg and Pittsburgh still mm-hmm. have a chrism mass on Holy Thursday. It's possible in those two dioceses because the cathedral is not so far from any of the parishes. So celebrating the chrism mass at 10 a.m. and then driving back to your parish in time for the Mass of the Lord's Supper in the evening is manageable there mm-hmm. like it's not in Steubenville. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, connected very much with Holy Thursday the oils, the sacraments, and and especially the priests gathering around the bishop is uh, is really powerful. I I don't think I've missed a Holy Thursday. It's really kind of optional for me as a monk. I'm not. I don't need to get oils for anybody, but I really love that chrism mass. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I've missed it since I've been ordained, other than last year when we had it in <laughs> August or something. But oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always struck struck me, especially as a seminarian, to uh, see all the priests gathered that way, and kind of like, at least here, it's like half of the priests of the diocese, and going to the other one and seeing the other half. But uh, <laughs> yeah, just that connection with how like what we do and what we did together goes out through those sacraments, through those oils, all over the diocese to all these people that are gonna be brought into the church and. So for us this year, we have somebody being ordained a priest, and the chrism that's blessed that day is the same chrism that's going to get put on his hands, and that's uh, that's really special for him to see and for all of us to be to be part of. So, and the 
consecration of the chrism, mm -hmm. uh, which can only be done by the bishop, and he actually breathes on it. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's the best smell in the world. I don't know if you smell yeah, nobody, chrism oil. Yeah, nobody can't beat that balsam. Oh, yeah. yeah, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Nothing comes close. Mm -hmm. I, always I always feel like afterwards, I'd love to take you know, one of the empty containers and just leave it in my car because I just want to smell that every time I get into it. Um, so we talked about Holy Thursday a little bit, especially about that it's the Mass of the Lord's Supper. It has the, what we call it, like the mandatum, the command, love one another, and then that's get at, get that gets acted out in the washing of the feet. Maybe something we didn't talk about, um, you guys might have just memories of, is... Uh, the procession with the Eucharist. That's the evening we take the Eucharist. It's not put it back in the tabernacle. It goes somewhere else. Um, and I always find that, like, it makes me think of my childhood, of, of it processing around the church, but uh, especially now, because at the end of that Mass, the church is empty. Like, even the tabernacle is empty. And what a totally different feeling that is uh, when you leave Mass that night. Mm. Yeah, it's rather haunting mm -hmm. and not something that you tend to want, naturally want to enter into. Like, I'm uh, my first, you know, emotional response is usually to kind of like, uh, like shy away from the discomfort of it. Um, and because it oftentimes I'll show all the lights out and you're supposed to exit in silence. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a little like off-putting. Um, but it really... It, I think it's so beautiful to go to Holy Thursday because it really prepares you for for Good Friday. Um, it's not just like you show up at the Good Friday service and like it's like you're there. It's like the night before you're you you enter into that darkness already in the reality of that, and it gives you a while to wrestle with it, um, which I think is important to do, but not comfortable to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. When I love, you know, really Holy Thursday contains everything uh, in that first part, in the celebration of the Eucharist, because the, the Eucharist uh, is, is everything. Mm. Jesus, take this all of you and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. So he's already giving us his sacrificed and risen body in a sense. So he's really anticipating Good Friday and Easter Sunday for his disciples really to prepare them and also uh, that they would do that in memory of him. So the Eucharist, every Eucharist contains the entire triduum in it. But there's a there's a, a beautiful way that Holy Thursday unfolds. There's a there's almost a, a a joy, but it's a it's a kind of sober joy that that diminishes as it's taking place, and then it moves into, you know, the procession is the movement of Jesus with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm. And so the preparation, the altar of repose is meant to be decorated, to be reminiscent in some way of the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden, so we put flowers up or whatever. But but the idea is you're moving with his disciples and, and there's this, this kind of joy laced with sadness as you know what's starting to unfold. And as you described very beautifully, Molly, the, the dimming of the lights and this, you know, the, the Lord being taken to a different altar. And, and then we begin uh, three hours, four hours, depending on when your mass ends, a vigil till midnight. And uh, another thing that I've done, I think every year that I've been Catholic, it's just so important to me to stay with the Lord. As he says to the apostles, can't you stay with me 
one hour. And uh, I, for so many years, did that. And then, you know, I would allow some feelings to come into my heart when the the priest uh, would come and remove the sacrament at midnight, who's, you know, he's in the person of the guards who come and arrest mm-hmm. Jesus and mm-hmm. then put him in the pit. And I'd feel angry at that priest, you know, and then I became that priest. That's <laughs> that created some inner conflict. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that whole time of vigil and then the, the tradition of the seven church uh, yeah. visitation, which again, where our churches are close enough together, I'm not sure how much of that happens around here, but uh, I always stay in the one church. Uh, just when I was a deacon, we did a seven-church run uh, in New Kensington. But um, at St. Vincent, I always stay in our monastic church, and then groups will come in. And there's something very beautiful about seeing these groups come in, spend time with the Lord, move out. And then there are a number of monks that are just staying there, praying quietly throughout the the whole time. But I love that. It's really one of my favorite times of the Triduum. I really recommend that if you're in an area with a few Catholic churches, even if it's not seven. Um, there's not seven immediately around here, but most churches will have, even they might have it set up in a separate place. Like, for example, we uh, we moved the tabernacle to the cry room, which we sort of transform into a little chapel. Um, some churches will move uh, the Eucharist to a different building, but maybe go around and visit, like Father Boniface is talking about. That's such a powerful way to spend Holy Thursday night um, rather than just, okay, Mass is over, go home, but kind of like seeking the Lord or searching for the Lord because uh, you really capture that uh, that emotion uh, of, of what's happening, of Jesus being sort of being alone, Jesus being imprisoned, all those things, and I think it's, it's a heck of a tradition to take part in. Yeah, and I encourage you to keep some silence, you know, make it a, a prayerful... Uh, activity in between moving from one church to the next. We actually, uh, I also helped to run We Are One Body Radio, which you can pick up in Steubenville at least in the greater Pittsburgh area, but we intentionally put scriptures on during that time with meditations and silence that are especially drawing from the, uh, the Last Supper discourse. I always think the apostles must have had that going over in their minds as they went into the garden. And what Jesus had just said at length, four or five chapters of John's Gospel, and just floating around in their minds and hearts. So that's what, that's one of the things I like to do during that time. Hmm. So we move from Holy Thursday and all of that happening, finally to the one day that the Church doesn't celebrate Mass. And I think uh, in the Roman Rite. In the Roman Rite. I don't know anything about that, so you can <laughs> you can add on to that part. But uh, just that, uh, yeah, that Good Friday is different in a lot of ways from the rest of the entire year, but it's especially centered around that celebration of the Lord's Passion, where we again read the whole Passion, like you said, Father, from the Gospel of John, and also the veneration of the cross, which I find really, really beautiful. Are we doing that this year? Uh, We are. You can genuflect to the cross is the instruction that I was given. Yes. Yeah, you just made me think of that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and usually people could kiss it or mm-hmm. come up close and touch it, and not this year, but hopefully next year. Yeah, not um, to put a damper on what you just said. I yeah. just thought of that. I was like, could he? Um, yeah, and then I've uh, the older I've gotten uh, and the more just aware of my faith I've become, the more like the 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 absence of the Eucharist has just made me really sorrowful on that day um 
how it's just very specifically like you're you know I might not go to mass other days of the year like plenty of days of the year that I you know could go on a weekday when I don't um but on that day it's like I seem to desire the Eucharist more than any other day um and that really just reminds me of yeah the I just feel like it helps me to enter into the darkness and the pain and like I was saying earlier on just watching that movie just allowing me to just walk with the Lord in that moment um but it's it's kind of an interesting thing to experience since we know what is to come mm-hmm. um it's this really interesting yeah just experience entering into the pain and the suffering and knowing that it doesn't end with that um yeah, I don't know if e- either of you want to speak to what that's like for you. It's always very in- interesting for me. Well, I love your uh, practice of watching the Passion of the Christ. And, and traditionally, taking that time in the afternoon, especially from 12 to 3, those hours when Christ is hanging on the cross, uh, or 9 to 3, depending on what gospel you're reading. But the uh, taking that time especially to focus on uh, what's what's happening there. Sometimes people will pray the stations, meditate on the seven last words of Christ, uh, maybe offer the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, uh, the seven sorrows of Our Lady, um, watching the passion of the Christ, keeping, I know people that keep silence in their homes, uh, certainly no media, but even just among the family members, keep silence for the sake of prayer and to really commemorate that time and enter into the silence. It's when the whole world went silent because the Word died. Mm. And so we, we enter into that deep silence of Good Friday that continues to pour into to Holy Saturday. Uh, I think the instruction is that the commemoration of the Lord's Passion is supposed to be offered between 3 and 5 or something like that. It substitutes for evening prayer uh, for whatever reason. We, we always offer it earlier than that. Uh, between noon and three seems to be pretty common. But anyway, that whole time in the afternoon especially is so sacred. And and like you said, Molly, I, I think spending that time in church without the presence of the Eucharist, we, we of course we receive the Holy Communion at the Good Friday service, which is um, beautiful that we do that, but uh, we don't actually have a Mass. There's no offering, there's no consecration, there's no Eucharistic prayer. But, uh, but then the, the, the empty tabernacle, actually, I, I composed a, a homily that I turned into a blog article. I think it's on my blog somewhere, but uh, about the empty tabernacle and, and just like standing in front of it. We don't genuflect to the tabernacle. We genuflect to the cross on, mm. on uh, Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And, and it's good to really be intentional about that. Our, our reflex reaction is come in, genuflect to the tabernacle, get into the pew, but don't do it. Uh, there's no, there's no one in there. No <laughs> one in there. Don't genuflect. The, the sanctuary lamp is out because nobody's home. That's right. Yeah. The tabernacle doesn't deserve your veneration. Mm. Only Jesus does. Yeah. Uh, the cross on Good Friday deserves your veneration. So, I lo- I love those. You know, to kind of have the cognitive dissonance of that and feel that we we get that into our our bones a little bit. It feels wrong, and it's good because it sort of wakes us up a little. That's because right. we're, right. That's yeah. we're especially like you said with genuflection, it's so natural just to go into a church and do it without thinking. Um, I've done it in a movie theater. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. exactly what came to my mind. We're yeah. at, at the school, like literally yesterday, we were at work in the auditorium, and I almost did. I was like, "Dang it, <laughs> it's not a church." <laughs> Jesus is not physically here right now. There's a great video that right at the beginning of lockdown was a guy in Walmart. And he went and got his hand sanitizer and genuflected and crossed himself. Because <laughs> um, it's just, it's built into us. So I got, yeah, my point is that it's so good to be shaken out of that because yeah. it makes us realize what we're really doing. That's and right. the, what's not there. What's not there, exactly. And, and like the, the starkness of a church that Catholic churches are special as a place because the Lord is there. Um, and when he's not there, it really feels different. Yeah. I find at the same time, the fact that we keep the empty tabernacle there is a sign of hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's waiting to be filled. Yes. And there's a, a great sign of some of the desire we feel in our own hearts. You know, that kind of opening, it's just like it's hanging open mm -hmm. and is mm -hmm. empty and uh, gives us permission, inv invites us to feel that in ourselves, our longing for him. Yeah, and how like countercultural it is to believe that emptiness could lead to hope but just what you said that i was like that's so true but that's wild to think like you never yeah just when you're at or when the world is at its most empty it's when there's room for for it to be filled and the hope that lies in that i just yeah i think that's really beautiful where sin abounds grace abounds all the mm -hmm. more there was no worse sin than the murder of god mm. and the grace that abounds is the gift of the resurrection. Mm. So then we get to the to the night of the resurrection, which My is tattoo. oh yeah, we can talk <laughs> about that. But uh, so yeah, Saturday night is after dark, and so for here and we, the Easter vigil will start at eight p.m. and um, there's so many parts to it, and and for a priest, especially even more so for like when you're acting as an MC, you're like pushing the celebrant around. There's so mm -hmm. many parts to it that are not normal, like starting outside with the fire and blessing the Easter candle and the, the procession of the candles that light up the church. And I don't know if we can talk about all these things, but <laughs> sing the exaltets. And we have a, a whole, you can read seven readings uh, uh, if you're if you're into that. And uh, <laughs> which we, well, that's what we're doing at our parish this year. We're going to do all of them. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm Love excited. It. So that's the whole first part is uh, that kind of special... Liturgy well, a, with the fire. There are four liturgies. Normally there are two, mm -hmm. right, at a Mass, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. But at the Easter Vigil, there are four. The Liturgy of Light, the Liturgy of the Word, the Liturgy of, the, of Initiation, mm -hmm. Baptism and Confirmation, and then the Liturgy of the Eucharist. So just to give a little structure. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. helpful because you can get lost in it. And it's that's what I, I just today wrote in our bulletin. It will be long but it will be beautiful. And I think that's something... The time flies by because yeah. it's so interesting. It's all this <laughs> it's stuff really that true. we're not used to. Like, oh, what's going? What's he doing up there? What's what's <laughs> happening now? Because it's not normal. We, how many readings do we have here? Why is mm -hmm. Father saying, saying a prayer after that? Is that, they, is that light going to go out? So how's that going <laughs> Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Very much. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... It's If you have not been to the Easter Vigil, it is very much worth taking that chance and spending that time, even if you don't know anybody that's coming into the church or anything like that. Um, it's To me, it's like the best way to celebrate Easter, that Sunday, obviously, Sunday Masses for Easter are important, but to to do it in darkness where that light enters in is just such a powerful thing. Yeah. 
Well, Holy Week is the week of weeks, and it's the model for every week. The Easter Vigil is the mother of all vigils, the mother of all masses, Mm -hmm. and it's the fullness. You never kind of have more in a mass than you have in the Easter Vigil. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is the, this is the finals of March (laughs) madness or whatever, you know, this is the, this is the finals. Uh, It's, it's the, it's the thing, you know, if you only are going to watch one thing, that's the thing. I mean, so it's the fullness of liturgy. And it is very striking. I was really intimidated by the idea of going to uh, the Easter Vigil the first time I went. But I went to, I went, I think for the first time I went, the first time I went to the Vigil was maybe a Franciscan. Which is a a big one. Oh, it's a big one. Mm -hmm. But then after they had this wild resurrection party where everyone just gets in the student center and they just throw like this huge, just literal party. And it's it's the best it's the best thing All ever. Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally goes to like five or six in the morning. That's amazing. It's crazy. It's so cool. It's how it, it's a cele- it's a celebration. It's it is what it is, and and what it's meant to be. Sometimes it's just like yay, it's Easter, <laughs> but we're, but we're meant to celebrate, you know. Yeah, I think especially like when you have people being baptized or entering into the church, like you did, Father. That uh, it's alongside the resurrection of Jesus, which is obviously worth celebrating, um, this new life that these people you know or these people you can see are receiving is an amazing thing. And the, the, those who are received into the church, uh, then called neophytes, are, are dressed in a white robe. And I know uh, at Penn State, at least, we, we kept our robes on, you know, for the, the remainder of the Mass. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so everybody wanted, you know, knew who we were. We stand out yeah. at the little resurrection. It was only a little resurrection party <laughs> at afterward. And people were so, you know, moved to see that there were college students choosing to come into the church yeah. and w- to welcome us and so warm, excited, sharing their experience of seeing us being baptized or uh, and confirmed, seeing us receive the Eucharist for the first time. And uh, I felt very moved by that that communal spirit. And, and I felt like I was bringing new life to the community. It was clearly something, you know, people actually said, oh, you know, I was baptized a baby and so exciting to see you being baptized Mm -hmm. today. And it made me feel like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. Witnessing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited because the, the one person we're baptizing here at my parish is one of our students um, who just high school, high school, Mm -hmm. A couple weeks ago, after adoration one night, came up to me and said, "Hey, I'd like to become Catholic." <laughs> um, and she's in Catholic school, so she's she's uh, getting what she needs to know and being prepared. Wow, wow. And just went on the Kairos retreat with us, and uh, yeah, so I'm very excited for her and her family and her sponsors, but also just like her peers seeing her make yeah. this choice for herself is amazing. Because mm-hmm. wow. you never rarely. Yeah, usually it's, even with the sacrament of confirmation, just something your parents kind of send you to do in mm-hmm. eighth grade. Or w- it's different in Steubenville. Weird thing about Steubenville is people get confirmed so young here, right? It's like third grade. Fifth grade, yeah. Yeah, that's wild because it's like eighth and tenth grade where I'm from. Um, but even then, it's just kind of a thing you do. So to see someone be like, no, this is a thing I want to do, um, which is what it's meant to be. It's so beautiful and yeah, I'm really excited for the rest of our students to see that, to know of that, and just to be inspired by that. Yeah. 
Well, any last thoughts on the Easter Vigil, which is kind of the Super Bowl of <laughs> Super masses? Bowl, that's yes. it. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I guess uh, one other thing I always encourage people to do is the you mentioned the uh, the song that we sing in the liturgy of light the exultant it's so rich mm-hmm. I mean I have I, I always just sing it I have it almost I mean I have it about half memorized I love it so much and I uh, quoted it I, I just published a book on Saint Joseph I took a number of sections out of there to quote because it's so beautiful but we only ever hear it the one time it's about 10 minutes, 8 to 10 minutes long to, to sing it. And we have, you know, it's a 10-minute song you hear once a year. Mm-hmm. And it's got rich theology, rich imagery. we got mother bees and making wax. <laughs> and, uh, the night of nights and uh, just uh, the, this church shaking with joy and the lightning of God's glory. And anyway, it's really beautiful. So just uh, just an encouragement to read that, and then, as you mentioned, the seven Old Testament readings and the letter to the Romans and the gospel, it's a ton of text. So it's a, it's a vigil, though, and the tradition in the church is that you have stuff to do during vigils. It's not meant to be like, you know, our, normally our Roman rite is very sparse. We, we don't have that much text, and so you can really try to f- track it and take it in, and that's great. You've got way too much text in the Easter Vigil, so mm-hmm. pull some of that out. Make a twenty-year project, and uh, <laughs> during Holy Week each year, take a different Old Testament reading, reflect on it, and when you're there, just kind of let it happen, and and enter into the liturgy, and don't worry about tracking everything, and just what is the Lord saying? Maybe a word here, a word there. That's good advice. Uh, I didn't want to pass the exalted without Molly telling us her favorite verse of it because it's on your arm. It is on my arm. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Felix Culpa. Mm-hmm. It's on my arm. For those of you who are here, I pulled up my sleeve. <laughs> and I also realized my other tattoo is very Easter. It is. <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> so this is the... I'm just going to be showing off my tattoos on Easter. Um, yeah, so it means uh, happy fault. Um, and so what, my, what always strikes me on Easter is just uh, that... Like God judged it, I think that and I'm I'm not making up these words. God judged it better to permit evil to exist so that good could be brought out of it rather than um, evil not exist at all. And how like striking that is, just the ch- the choice of love um, that that reminds me of and that strikes me about the crucifixion and the passion and the resurrection that God saw it better saw it more fit that the suffering of his son, the death of his son, the torture of his son would be allowed so that the goodness of the resurrection could come about rather than the crucifixion never happening at all. And that, like, is hard to hear. That is something that's very difficult, I think, to make sense of. Um, but um, there's this one line that I always love. Um, it's from a book i believe but it's about felix um it says oh goodness infinite goodness immense that all this good of evil shall produce and evil turn to good more wonderful than that which creation first brought forth light out of darkness and i think that's just the whole idea of the passion and resurrection like the lord brings light out of darkness the worst act of suffering hatred sin in the world 
the, the, the murder of our God is turned into the greatest symbol of hope in our faith, his resurrection that allows for us to have a seat at the table in heaven and how just crazy that is that um, God is so merciful that he doesn't just work around suffering but works through it. And we see that greatest example in, in Jesus and in the resurrection. So that's on my arm. <laughs> and I think of it often because it's on my arm, which is why I got it on my arm. <laughs> um, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we get more than we had. So it's not mm. just a matter of getting back to paradise, but we get more. At a very minimum, what we get is to see the attri- God's greatest attribute, which is mercy. Mm. Adam and Eve could not have known the mercy of God without sin. Mm, yes. And so we have come to know the mercy of God because of Adam's sin. And so there's a strictly more of himself that he's revealed to us because we sinned. Not that he intended for us to sin, right. not that he wanted us to sin, but he allows us to sin knowing that he can give even more of himself. Mm-hmm. We break covenants, and he makes bigger ones. <laughs> That's what God does. Wild. It's yeah. fantastic. Awesome. So. so <laughs> wow, that was <laughs> Go <funny>. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> How has God been loving us this week? Um, yeah, why doesn't Father Boniface go <laughs> Yeah, first? Father Boniface, <laughs> how has God been loving you lately? Because <laughs> we, we, we didn't even warn you about it. I know. <laughs> I uh, I was blessed to give a retreat for Camaldolese hermits this week. And uh, being with these men, just six hermits and then a recluse. Uh, The hermits are alone most of the day, but they come together for prayer. The recluse doesn't even come out for prayer. He does everything in his little hermitage. Uh, And I just saw, I was so touched by the way that God loves us in such ordinary things. These men are completely unimpressive from the external point of view. Uh, They can't sing on key. They're really (laughs) awkward. They're uh, not particularly socially adept. They're uh, just kind of making their way around. The the mass is not impressive. You know, it's all sung recto tono on about five different tones at the same time. There's a a way that it's totally unimpressive, but it's really beautiful. They're totally authentic. They're very vulnerable in just giving themselves completely. And it just reminded me of how much God loves us in our vulnerability, in our authenticity, in our transparency. When we let down our masks, when we allow ourselves to be seen, when we just enter into the things that we're doing, however incompetently, However, uh, whatever our inability is, that, that we just give ourselves. And so I felt, I felt very loved seeing them and, and felt very loved directly by them uh, as I was there. I mean, they're just have incredible charity and generosity, kindness, mm-hmm. patience, uh, and uh, indulgence. Just so, so kind. So I really, really felt that this week. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Father Michael? I think I'm prepared now. You're ready? Okay, go for it. So last week I went to the chiropractor, and I had to wait a while because uh, that's just how it goes there. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and just doing the normal thing of, like, checking Twitter and Instagram a bunch of times. And finally I was like, okay, I'm going to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet because that is better than those things. And <laughs> um, 
And then I got immediately like interrupted uh, to, to go do whatever I was going to do. And part of the thing that I had to do was stand on this thing that shakes you. You've told me about that. Yeah, it's really weird. Uh, and, it, and you like have weights on you. It's supposed to like, I don't know, activate some sort of reflex in you. I don't, whatever. I'm just going along with it. But I finished the Divine Mercy <laughs> Chaplet standing on this thing that just shakes you. And uh, it's either that or stare at the wall. But uh, having that experience, I was just praying and I was just trying to enter into it. And the weird, in the midst of the weird circumstances, it was very much like, it wasn't just saying, all right, God, we're terrible. Have mercy on us. It was kind of God saying, like, no, like, I want to have mercy on you. And so just kind of an awareness of that, that that prayer doesn't just have to be us saying, Lord, have mercy because we deserve to be, uh, you know, knocked down for, for our sins. It was very much like, oh, yeah, like the Lord wants to be merciful to us. And so that was a, a nice gift and reminder from the Lord of just— uh, yeah, we don't have to be afraid of him. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Molly, what are you thinking? How has God loved you lately? What am I thinking? That's a big question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had a pretty, just was pretty anxious this week. And the Lord just, you know, the as everyone knows, a big gift in my life that the Lord has just made, made a big part of my life as music and, um, very much just felt that I wrote a lot of songs this week kind of just to cope with that. And it's very much like a, a coping mechanism for me. And I was just very grateful that God has given me the gift of music and the ability to write um, because it gives me a new way to worship him and a new way to allow him to love me. And just with that, it kind of just made me reflect on how amazing he is that those two things go together, that the ways in which he wants to love us are also ways in which we can worship him and that those those two things are not separate, um, that his desires for us are not separate from the ways that we are meant to love him. It's very much interconnected, and um, that was just a really beautiful thing for me this week and the way he loved me. So Beautiful. Shout out to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so, Father Boniface, if someone wants to find you or your books. Find you. Or, well, maybe not you personally. <laughs> but just if they want to find the things that you have created in the world and hear from you, what would be a good place for them to look? Well, if I can also just uh, plug my, uh, my effort to help people enter more deeply into the Triduum. <clears throat> Last year during the shutdown... We held an online Triduum retreat, and it's arranged around the liturgies so as not to interfere with them, but to enhance them with some uh, live talks and testimonies, breakout rooms, small groups, so a little bit of uh, community and a chance mm -hmm. to learn and reflect. And you can find that at triduumretreat.org, I think, <laughs> org or com. Um, but you can also just go to our Institute for Ministry Formation, IMF, website, imf.stvincentseminary.edu. You have to spell all of that out, saint, S-A-I-N-T, vincentseminary.edu. Um, and that has a link to the Triduum Retreat up, up top. 
and uh, and a variety of other things there. My personal website is Father Boniface, spell out Father, F-A-T-H-E-R, Boniface, <laughs> B-O-N-I-F-A-C-E, <laughs> that gets spelled long, wrong a lot, dot org, and uh, uh, books and blogs and videos and audio and things like that are there. I also work with WAOB Radio, so WAOB.org, and we live stream there, and there's a variety of things there. Um, uh, there's a Twitter, Father Boniface is a Twitter handle, and uh, also my Instagram handle, I think, Boniface.hicks at, uh, on uh, Facebook, and anyway. Uh, all the places. All the places, all yeah. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes. We will put it all in Father Matthew will put it all yes. in the show. See, <laughs> Father Matthew's got it. He knows. He knows. He's got my number. Oh, yeah. He'll put that in the show notes, too. <laughs> I kid. I kid. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank and you. I hope it's beautiful. Yeah. I hope it's a great Holy Week for everybody. Yeah. Thanks and for having me. as always, find us at knowhis.love. We're on Instagram. That's the website. We're on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I got to get a Twitter to get a Twitter. keep up with that. Um, and we would love to continue to hear your thoughts on the podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been sharing. We've been getting a few comments and mm-hmm. such, and that's been nice. Um, and topic ideas, um, keep them coming. And we'll see you guys next week. Happy. Happy Holy Week. Yeah, happy Holy Week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>